Thanks for joining us here at the Light San Diego podcast. This sermon was recorded in Encinitas, California. For more information, please visit our website, lightsandiego.com. Hey, Light Church, it is Keith, your boy. It's so happy to be here with you. It's been an awesome time that I've got to spend with Jen and Benji. Don't you just love your pastors? There's something about them that's just so authentic, so loving, and so humble. So please, please, please take care of them. Love them well as we do. Coco and I love them dearly. Appreciate what God is doing here at Light Church and Encinitas and even beyond. Just seeing the outreach and mobilizing everyone to care for the poor and the less fortunate. Just such a blessing. Speaks to who you are as a people and uh I'm just happy to be here and to be with you and have an opportunity to minister the word of God to you. So listen, how many of you are shocked like I am that it's already the Christmas season, the holiday season is upon us. I'm seeing advertisements about Black, you know, Friday and the whole thing and shopping and and, and I already know what's going to happen. There's going to be endless gatherings, endless parties, and my wife is going to force me to watch hours upon hours of the Hallmark Channel, which I love so much. Um, but, but it is an opportunity for us too. The season presents us with all types of opportunities to get people before Jesus. And so I want us to be mindful of those opportunities. I mean, listen, everybody's gonna be busy. Everybody's gonna have parties, stuff to do, the kiddos, everything. But at the same time, please be attentive to the spirit in the season. Like, like at no other time in the year, there's despair, there's discouragements, there's all kinds of things. In the midst of all of the festivities, there'll be people that you probably know that lost somebody during this year. And this will be the first Thanksgiving and the first Christmas and all of those types of things. So in the midst of all that's going on, there will be these opportunities to minister to people and to touch them if we're sensitive, if we're attentive, and, and if we recognize that Jesus wants to move in and through all of our relationships. And so I always call it harvest time for our church. <laughs> I'm in Oregon. And so it is literally the fall season is literally harvest time. And so I try to remember them, remember the harvest season and try to re- remind our church. And one of the scriptures that we, we find that deals with that metaphor, as it were, that agricultural metaphor is Matthew chapter 9, verse 35 through 38. And it says this, it says, Jesus traveled through all the towns and villages of that area, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. But but verse 36, watch this. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He said to his disciples, the harvest is great, abundant or plentiful, right? But the workers or laborers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest to ask him to send more workers into the fields. And so in that text, we see that Jesus saw crowds of people that were confused, helpless, without a shepherd. If you know anything about sheep, you recognize they can't live and exist without a shepherd to protect them, to provide for them, to lead them. And likewise, we need a shepherd for our souls or else we're subject to being confused and despairing and discouraged in our life as well. And so, but, but one of the things in that text that jumped out at me is that Jesus saw their condition, saw their plight, saw what was arrayed against them, you know, humanity in that sense, in a broader sense of the narrative, and had compassion on them. That Jesus has compassion on people. 
And I know that sometimes in our culture, Christians are portrayed and are notorious for being judgmental and critical about people who are struggling or disadvantaged or have whatever is going on in their life that's arrayed themselves that, that, you know, social ills and different things. Jesus didn't look at those things and say, yeah, that's worthy of criticism. That's worthy of judgment. He had compassion and moved toward them to alleviate their suffering. In this case, we find that there was diseases and illnesses of all kinds that he healed. But how many of you recognize that Jesus moves beyond the physical into the emotional, uh, in, into the spiritual, where our ultimate needs lie? We ultimately need Jesus. We, our souls are in need of a savior. And so when I read that text, it really starts challenging me as an individual, because I, I have to recognize again that although I have this life and I'm trying to navigate life with my kids, my grandchildren, I know I'm 55. I don't look like it. Black don't crack. Holla at your boy. Uh, that, that, that I'm sent. I'm, I'm a missionary that Jesus has sent me that even though maybe you don't know what your primary sort of calling is or purpose and you can't figure out what it is that, you know, God created you for and you're wrestling with sort of that idea. Well, you know, the reality is, is Matthew 28 is the great commission. All of us are sent to go and to make disciples of others. And so with that in mind, there's this question that I kept, you know, sort of pondering is like, why don't more people engage in the mission of God? Why, why aren't we seeing more people Engaged, and there's a couple reasons that I wrote down. One is fear. How many of you ever wanted to share your faith with somebody, but you were just afraid to? You're afraid you're going to mess it up, and you were going to fail at it. And or maybe there's persecution, and you know, if I tell people I'm a Jesus, I'm a Jesus follower, they're going to think I'm a fanatic and and a persecutor, and they're going to persecute me, and 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 that type of thing. And so we 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 tend to draw back in fear of 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 those things happening. But let me encourage you. Nobody can, like the old preacher said, nobody can tell it like you can. You have a story of God's grace. You are a first-hand witness of God's saving grace, his forgiveness, his mercy, his love, his favor. You have a story to tell, and no one can refute it. It is your story, and it would be an encouragement and a life to other people. How about this one, that if it's not feared, then we're too busy. And, and, and all of us have busy lives. Everything about our culture keeps us busy. And so we're going to have to really resist uh, all of the temptations of distraction during this season and try to be more present, more aware. Did you notice that the scripture says when Jesus saw the crowds, do you see people that are hurting and broken? Or are we too busy moving through life, moving through your schedule, moving through your responsibilities that you don't have really the time to see people well? I'm asking the Lord in this season to help all of us to see the hurting, the broken, the confused, those without direction, those that are aimless, those that are broken, so that we might come near to them and bring the gospel to them in a unique way. And so, how many, let me ask this question. How many of you have friends, coworkers, acquaintance, loved ones that you want to see become Jesus followers, right? Like all of us do. We've got people that we care about, acquaintances, the barista that you see on a daily basis, or your favorite restaurant. There's waiters and different ones, service that there that you want to see come to know Jesus, that you want to see turned on for the gospel. Got you. Me too. But, but can I ask you a personal question? Like, like, how far would you go? Like, to what measure, what extreme measures would you go to 
to get that person, that individual before Jesus? Like, like what would you do to make sure your cousin or your brother or your uncle or your aunt or, or whoever it is that means something to you that that what would you do? How far would you go? Would you go out of your way to pick them up? Would you pray for, you know, three or four weeks and then set an appointment to sit down and have coffee? I, I don't know. But, but what I do know is that in all of the relationships that I have, the one thing that they are in desperate need of, and these are people that don't know Jesus, they need to be in front of Jesus. If they could just see Jesus, if they could just hear him, if they could, if they could sense his presence, it would mean the world. It would change everything in their lives. It, it's not that they need to come to church, it's that they need Jesus. Coming to church is a byproduct of knowing that you need Jesus and love Jesus. Those of us that gather in this space, we gather because we love the Lord and we want to be in his presence. It is the single mom, it is the atheist, the agnostic, whomever it is in your life, they need to come before Jesus. This text that we're going to look at for a few minutes this morning is found in Mark chapter 2. And, and to be honest with you, we're going to look at what is, in, in my estimation, the obscure part of the text, because this text in Mark chapter 2 has a big theological rock sitting in the middle of it, which is Jesus heals a man. A spoiler alert, I'm going to tell you ahead of time. Jesus is going to heal a man. But, but really what this chapter is about in context is about whether Jesus has the authority to forgive sins or not, which would make him equal with God, which for the Jewish uh, leaders that were there, this was blasphemous for him to forgive this man of his sin. The reality is, is Jesus was poking the bear a little bit because he didn't need to say that your sins are forgiven you. He could have just said, arise, pick up your bed, and that would have been it. But he actually forgave sins because he was trying to make a broader point that Jesus is God and he's equal with God. And so he was making that point for them. But that's not really what I want to preach about. That's not what I want to draw your attention to. There are four men in this text that go above and beyond what would be normal and what would be considered as um, their duty. They go above and beyond their duty to make sure that their friend gets before Jesus. And I want to paint a picture for us of what our response may, order, may, may be, and maybe it challenges us or convicts us. Shouldn't feel condemned, but you should feel challenged. Let's take a look. Mark chapter 2, verse 1 through 7, it says this. Jesus returned to Capernaum, and a few days later, the news went out that he was at home. So many people gathered together that were, that was in, that, so that there was no more room for them, not even near the door. And Jesus was discussing with them the word of God. Then they came bringing to him a paralyzed man who was being carried by four men. So you get the picture. There's this crowd around this house and they can't get this paralyzed. They bring a paralyzed man in, but there's a crowd. And so verse four says, and when they were unable to get him in because of the crowd, they removed the roof above Jesus. And when they had dug, open, dug out an opening, they let down the mat on which the paralyzed man was lying. When Jesus saw their active faith springing from confidence in him, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven you. But some of the scribes were sitting there, and those are the religious leaders, were sitting there debating in their hearts. Why does this man talk this way? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins or remove guilt or nullify sin's penalty except God alone? In verse 11, if you skip down, it says, I say to you, get up, pick up your mat and go home. And he got up and immediately 
from the mat and went before all of them so that they all were astonished and they glorified God and praised God saying, we have never seen anything like this. I can't help but think that the four men that carried their paralyzed friend, because he has to be a friend, he got to be somebody that they know, because who goes to this extreme for, for a stranger? The idea is, is that they can't get him in the front door. They would love to have brought him in the front door, but they couldn't. And so they had to climb up. Most of those were houses in that day and age had stairs that would go up to a roof. The roof would have been flat, most likely. And so they dig out a portion of the roof. Now, you got to imagine Jesus is sitting down talking to this crowd of people teaching. And all of a sudden, dust starts flying, that dropping down in front of him. Right above him, an opening in the roof appears. And it's these men who bring this paralyzed man to, to Jesus. So for me, it's, it, it's kind of familiar because when I gave my life to the Lord, there, my brother-in-law could have been all four of these men. He would not take no for an answer. He was persistent and relentless in the face of my persecution even toward him as he began to share faith with me. In fact, I live right in Vista, right off College Boulevard. I lived in Vista and he came to our apartment while I was in the Marine Corps station nearby here. And he would just come on a weekly basis and share Jesus. And what he was trying to do is he wanted to see his sister and I come to know Jesus. He knew that what ailed our marriage, what ailed our life, because we really struggled early on, is that we needed to get before Jesus. Jesus would be the solution, the answer, as it were, to our life. And listen, he refused to take no for an answer. He kept coming, would never be offended, never took anything personal. And it, it began to make me wonder if I go to those lengths to see people brought to Jesus. Now, some of you would say, well, of course you do. You're a pastor. I'm not talking about what I do in a pulpit. I'm talking about how I live my life. Am I living a life that is that, that literally my chief aim and goal is to get people before Jesus? Well, number one thing that we see with these guys is that they, by all means necessary, were willing to get their friend to the Lord. The venue was jammed. Nobody could get in. And no obstacle thrown in their way would stop them or detour them from getting this man before Jesus. Let me ask you this. What's, what's the obstacle in one of your friend's life? They got church hurt. They're too busy. They got experiences in life. They don't trust people. Whatever the obstacle is, can I just say, don't be deterred. In this case, the obstacle was a crowded room. The crowds had heard of the fame of Jesus and they were coming to hear his teaching and yet they couldn't get this man in. And let me just say to you, there's a lot of reasons why some of your friends don't come to church or don't want to have anything to do with spiritual things. Don't allow those obstacles to deter you. Don't allow what they're saying to deter you. All things are possible to them that believe. And these men obviously had a strong belief that Jesus would heal, that his life would be changed. I am convinced that Jesus changes lives, that he supernaturally miraculously does, um, uses foolish things like you and me and the preaching of the gospel to change lives. And so verse two says that there were so many people that they couldn't get in. And so by all means necessary, these men would not be distracted, deterred. They were on a mission. Are you that determined, that fervent about seeing your friends and loved ones come to the Lord? This holiday season, what if I told you this holiday season 
your friends are going to gather together at parties in different places, and they're going to have all kinds of brokenness going on, but they're going to be smiling, and some of them will be medicating themselves, right? Medicating, trying to push off the pain, anesthetize the pains of their life, the voids, all of that. It's there. And even though they're wealthy and some of them have money and they're increased, they're still in need of a Savior. They still need what Jesus has. He says, listen, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. That's, there's so many lost people that don't know the way. What, what truth? We, we have to fact check now to decide what truth is anymore. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Real life is found in knowing Jesus. That's real life. And so we've got to do our part to make sure that by all means necessary, we move people toward a knowledge of Jesus. We are a participant in the mission of God with Jesus. Yes? Well, listen. So then the second thing that you notice about these men is that they weren't trying to get a seat for themselves. There's a degree of selflessness that they display and they could have easily said, you know, man, Jesus, the, the rabbi, the teacher, the one that everybody's been talking about has come to Calpurnium. We want to get a seat in. We want to get up front. We want to be in VIP. We want to go see Jesus. And you couldn't fault them for that. But there's something about them that's exemplary. They selflessly put themselves second and take on this man's burden and his responsibility. You know, I, I believe 100% that salvation is free. It's been paid for and purchased with the blood of Jesus. There's nothing you can add to it. You can't add baptism to it. You can't add Bible reading, doing good works in Mexico. None of that saves. Only Jesus saves. However, there is a price to be paid for men and women to hear that message. Somebody's got to pay the price today. At some point, this chapel that I'm in filming in is going to have chairs spread out for services this weekend. And somebody's going to do that. Some of you are going to come in and sit in the chairs already prepared, the bathroom nice and clean and the place smelling and looking good. But somebody did that because there's a price always to be paid for men and women to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and to get before him. Somebody's paying that price. Jen and, and Benji and the whole team. In fact, the guy that's filming me is taking his time today to be here to make sure that the gospel gets taken forward from this place via technology through this lens. And so there's got to be a degree of selflessness that you and I start walking in. I mean, Philippians chapter 2 talks about this idea that we prefer others above ourselves. And Jesus emptied himself of his privilege and all of the privileges and the rights of deity. Why? So that he could pay the price for our sins. And so what, what price are you willing to pay? What inconvenience are you willing to endure? Would, would you, if, if the place ended up being packed with people. If you, know, you wanted to come to an in-person service and the place was packed, would you give up your seat? Would, or you're like, no, we always sit here every Sunday. You know how we are. We mark out territory that we were familiar with in this space. But, but what would you be willing to sacrifice for one of your friends to come to the Lord? What, what inconvenience would you endure? What obstacle would you be willing to overcome just so that one of your friends that you love and care about could get before Jesus? And what if you were the linchpin, the key to that person coming before Jesus? Because the simple truth of the matter is, is whether we like it or not, 90% or if not more people that come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ all testify that they were invited by a friend, a trusted friend they were invited by, or someone that they trust led them 
to a church service, a small group gathering, a party, wherever it was, and they got to meet Jesus. They got to hear about Jesus or be around other Jesus followers. It will always be that the Lord involves us in his mission, and your relationships are a prime territory for the harvest to come in. All of the people you know, do you know that God gave you favor and positioned you in a certain sphere of influence so that they might see the kingdom be brought near to them through you. Hmm. That takes on an added weight of responsibility in my relationships because most of the time we're in relationships for what we can get out of them. And I'm here to tell you that God is bringing people. Some of you are like the Pied Piper. The minute you start talking, people want to gather around. They want to come to your house. They want to be, why? They want to be near you. Why is all that? Because the Lord has a mission for you in their lives. And you got to be selfless. You got to be willing to drive, be inconvenienced, take phone calls at all hours of the night, all of those things. Why? Because we're, we're here for one reason and one reason only, to lift up Jesus so that men and women could be drawn to him. How about this creative mission? And, and I'm winding down. For those of you that's been online a long time, we're winding down now. We're going to land the plane here in a few. These, these men were super creative. They they, they found a way, their determination, resolve, and creativity, man. It's like, we can't get them through the door. Okay, well, set them down. <laughs> oh, well, nope, they wouldn't take no for an answer. They're like, somebody must have said, let's go up here and we'll open a roof and we'll lower them down. And we'll figure out a pulley system or whatever it was. How creative are you? Like some of the stuff that we see for evangelism, I almost don't want to even mention evangelism because it has such a stigma to it. Last time I was at a, at a basketball game before the world changed was actually in L.A. and I was watching the Lakers play. And uh, it was kind of a great game and they won, obviously, because it's the Lakers. I don't know if you don't like the Lakers as well. Well, you don't like winners. It's okay. Um, but as I was coming out crossing the street, there was this guy on the street corner with a bullhorn talking about Jesus saved. And he was just blaring and yelling and Three of his henchmen had signs that were like, you're going to hell and all of this kind of stuff. And I'm thinking, that just isn't going to work. That's not creative. And then you got people standing around at malls and handing out tracts and all this kind of stuff. And it doesn't work. It's through your relationships. And so I'm going to ask you to pray for creativity, that God would give you creative opportunities to win people for, for the Lord, that, that this message of the gospel is, is the greatest message known to humanity. We need to package it in some creative ways, some different ways. You know, like Light Church is at a theater in Encinitas. Who thought of that? Like, who does that in a movie theater or whatever? You know, so the idea would be is that you and I would just ask the Lord, like, Lord, give me some creative opportunities and arrange the, now watch this, arrange the circumstances of the lives of my friends so that they would be open to the gospel, so that they would inquire, so that it would be easy. I'm not banging on a door as much as a door is open, and I'm taking some creative routes. Jesus was super, super savvy about his mission, and, and these four men display a determination and a resolve that I would love to see us have in, as we engage the mission. Don't get your feelings hurt when things don't go well the first time. And if things, you try something new and it doesn't work, well, that, that's the nature of innovation is that there are setbacks, there are failures, there's things that don't work well. Well, at least you found two or three ways to not share the gospel and to how not to share the gospel. And so, but be creative. 
And then lastly, if, if I asked you, if, if, let's just arrange it this way. Could there be enough evidence in your life through your character and your deeds, your actions, right, that it would speak to your faith without you having to articulate it at all, without you speaking a word, could your faith be seen? Now, Jesus in verse five says this, when he saw their active faith, they didn't say they had faith. They were living it out. They were demonstrating faith without works is dead. We can't talk about faith without doing it. I love when I pulled up the other day that the faith of this community was on display at the front door of the church with all this massive amount of blankets and, and pillows and clothes and different things that are being sent to those that are experiencing a very traumatic event right now in Mexico. Well, that's your faith speaking for you. You weren't here. Nobody was here to testify of the faith of Light Church, but you know what did? All of the clothes, the mountain of clothes that was standing at the front door testified to the faith of this place. Well, it ought to be the same in our lives, that there would be evidence, there would be actions that would demonstrate before we ever articulated the way we cared for people, the way we were sensitive and compassionate for people. It would tell them who we are before we ever uttered a word. Whose we are is more important. These men demonstrated their faith. Did you notice that this miracle does not happen because the paralyzed man has faith? It doesn't say the paralyzed man stood up or laid on his bed and said, I have faith in Jesus. No, it's the faith of these four men that drove them to these extreme measures of climbing a roof and letting this man down, interrupting the rabbi, interrupting the crowd. Could you imagine the scene? Everybody's there. Everybody's listening to Jesus. And all of a sudden, these guys are ripping a roof apart, interrupting the message. What if that happened the next service that, that you were in in person or somewhere and all of a sudden they were bringing somebody through a window or through some unsuspecting place because they were broken and in desperate need of Jesus? There will be people that come in, that wander in, that are hungover from the night before, that don't know the protocol. All of these things can be disruptive, but you and I have to welcome it because at the end of the day, we know they have an opportunity to get before Jesus. And so whatever means necessary, through our determination, our resolve, through our creativity, we get to see Jesus impact lives. It is the greatest privilege that we have. This man's faith is not the issue in this text. And the overarching message of the text is that Jesus does have the power to forgive sins. That is true. But more importantly, these four men hear and believe that Jesus can do something about this man's condition. They don't think that they can. Obviously, they don't think they can do anything about it. And I've got friends in my life that have really hard situations to deal with, and I can't do anything about it in and of myself. But what I can do is I can get them before Jesus. And so I can use my faith, not for myself, not for my family, but also for my friends and loved ones and acquaintances. And then I can be part, I can be, watch this, I can be an active part of the miracle that the Lord is going to do in their life. I can be a part, a small part of that story that God is rewriting in their lives by just getting them before Jesus. Now, I don't know all that you got to do. I don't know your life circumstances and all that uh, you're responsible for. But I do know that our life takes on a, a, a level of significance when we can give our lives away to something bigger than ourselves. And what, what is there bigger and more notable and the gospel of the kingdom of God and bringing people to a saving knowledge of him. Man, I've been doing it for 30 plus years. I hope this season, this 
holiday season leading into Christmas will be one of the most fruitful times you've ever experienced of sharing your faith, your story, and getting people to Jesus. Now, remember what I said. Don't take no for an, for an answer. Don't let any obstacle deter you. Jesus is the answer, and we just need to make sure that we do everything we possibly can to get people to the Lord. Amen? Can I pray for you right now? Pray over you, pray for your circumstance, and also pray for your friends so that they might come to a saving knowledge of Jesus. So, Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you for every life that is witnessing this message, for every person that is um, tuning in, wherever they're tuning in, and whenever they are. God, bless their lives, prosper them. If they don't know you, Lord, would you please give them eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart ready to receive the gospel so that they might be saved. And also for the rest of us, Lord, in this season, you are sending us the same way that you sent Jesus. We're literally missionaries on assignments in the various contexts that we're in and the various spheres of influence that we have. Lord, thank you so much for entrusting us with the gospel. Now, Lord, give us opportunities. Give us a determination and a resolve of these four men to get our friends to Jesus. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you so much for your attention. God bless you and have a wonderful, wonderful holiday season. Thanks for joining us here at the Light San Diego podcast. This sermon was recorded in Encinitas, California. For more information, please visit our website, lightsandiego.com. <laughs>